Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. Welcome back, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. I'm in the studio today with organizational psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Dr. Hardy is the world's leading expert on future self-science. What is that exactly? It's the idea that the more connected you are to your future self, the better you live in the present, resulting in a happier, more productive, and more successful life. Dr. Hardy's new book, Be Your Future Self Now, The Science of Intentional Transformation, outlines all of his applications of this concept, and he's here to share some secrets with us today. This is The Secret to Caring for Your Future Self. It's beautiful. Let me just tell you something, Secret Squad out there. We've already had so much fun. I mean, he walked in with flowers for me. I said, this is a first. I mean, this man has made my future self very happy today. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, really happy to be here. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. I can feel the energy is so positive. Yep. And the topic is so important. So first of all, can you tell everyone about your personal experience with discovering the connection with your future self? Yeah. So I was, I mean, I guess my own personal story is different from me finding the research and falling in love with the ideas. I found the research on it probably three years ago when I was writing a book called Personality Isn't Permanent. And so I was writing all about personality and, and found all this research on future self. And so I was like, okay, in some future day, I will write a book all about this idea. But as far as my own self, um, I'm reminded of Victor Frankl, you know, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes. That's one of my husband's favorite books. In yeah. Life. So his stuff really hits me very much as well. Um, one of the things he said was, is that, you know, Everything he did in the concentration camps was to help people have a future goal that gave them the grit, the stamina, the meaning to get to get going forward. So for me, it was I was 11 year old boy. My parents get divorced, becomes a traumatic experience. My father becomes a drug addict. But I had a I guess you could call it future goal Mm -hmm. (laughs) that gave my life meaning. And that was to serve a serve a church mission. So Mm -hmm. I, I that's what allowed me to survive the situation. That was kind of a North Star that's what, you know, there's a great quote, the bigger your future, or sorry, the, there's a quote that says, the bigger your vision, the better your decisions. And so it was just kind of like that just kind of gave me something to hold on to when everything was crazy. And ultimately, I was able to luckily graduate high school, barely, mm-hmm. and uh, go do that. And that's what kind of propelled me forward. Oh, I love that. And can you speak on the research that supports connecting to your future self in order to make wiser decisions. Yeah, there's a lot of it now. It's a, I I really think that this is where all of the whole field of psychology is trending. Um, so I guess I would start with two different psychologists. One would be, um, Daniel Gilbert, Daniel Gilbert. He's a Harvard psychologist. He's, his research has been digging into this for a long time. He, his initial findings are really interesting because what he does is he asks people to think back on who you were 10 years ago or more, you know, and just he helps people think like literally go back to 2012, right? And just think about who you were, how you're different now, could be interests, hobbies, your own perspective. 
your friend group, where your life is at, where your goals are. And for most people, when they look back 10 years, they see massive differences in who they were. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But then Dr. Gilbert asks people, well, think about who you're going to be in 10 years. Do you think you're going to be as different? And almost everyone says no. This is where it gets. And so it's actually a concept called the end of history illusion. So the idea is, is even if you look back and you see that you've changed a lot over the last 10, 15 years, most people think that who they are now is for the most part who they're going to be, you know, yeah. and so they don't think that their future selves can be different, even though that's the truth. And so that and so it's very helpful, obviously, to recognize my future selves gonna be enormously different. Even in two weeks from now, my future self is going to know a lot more than I know now. That gives you a lot of flexibility. That gives you a growth mindset. You don't have to know all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. So that that research is really helpful because it helps you tap into imagination. But then the other research that you are kind of hitting on about connecting with your future self comes all from, uh, and there's a lot of psychologists, men and women who study this, but there's one who's been digging into this for years named Dr. Hal Hirschfield. He's at UCLA and he's just spent a lot of time studying about how, how people make better decisions. And ultimately how do you get connected to your long-term future self five, 10, 20 years from now. And he's found lots of strategies for getting connected to your future self. And that the more connected you get to your future self, that whole idea, the bigger, the vision, the better your decisions better health choices, better financial decisions, better friends. Like, obviously, you'll be more intentional, more thoughtful, and have more direction. So there's there's a lot of research on it at this point. Oh, I love that. And when you say future, how far in the future do we need to be looking? Obviously, there's, you know, the great thing is you can use different time frames. Uh-huh. Um, the longer out, kind of the longer out you go, you can start to find more direct pathways. There's actually a lot of research that shows that if you make your vision really big, uh, let me give my like, son as an example. So my son, Caleb, he's 15 and he wants to play college tennis. Uh And recently his coach said, have you ever thought about trying to go for pro? And he had never thought about it. Never even entered his mind. His vision was just, I just want to play. But what's really interesting, and this is what the research shows, is that if you chunk up your goal, if you make it a level higher, higher, there's a lot fewer pathways to much higher and further goals, right? It's like, let, let me give an example. So in Orlando, Florida, where we live, if his goal is to go to, well, I'll tell you what happened. So first off, we were driving home and I told Caleb, that's his name. I said, what did you think about what he said about that comment about going pro? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, do you think that the current pathway you're on would take you to pro if that's what you decide? He said, no. Really? Right? It's yeah. like, and I said, well, if you wanted to go pro, I guess we'd have to change things up, right? Like if you were committed to that, you'd have to maybe find a new coach and stuff. He's like, yeah. And like basically what the idea is, is that if you have smaller goals and even closer goals, there's a lot of possible possible ways to get there, which can actually make it really hard to make choices. If you uh-huh. got a thousand options, it's hard to choose which one. So like in Orlando, there's probably a, a thousand coaches that could get Caleb to the college tennis level. Yeah. But if he was serious about going pro, there's maybe only like three to five, like uh-huh. legit. There's fewer paths to bigger goals, right? And so those are a lot healthier and like they're a lot easier because then you can separate kind of the the distractions from what actually works. So longer out really helps. Higher goals really help because they separate yeah. They separate all the things that you're doing that are honestly kind of like a waste of time and they help you find the few uh-huh. paths that would actually get you there. Because he would probably not even go to college and play in college. He, he might not. He might I mean, skip that whole process and all of the decisions he'd have to make and everything he'd have to do to do that goal. And yeah. Just- so that was, that was kind of the, uh, not exactly the answer to your question. Cause you asked how long, and I was kind of thinking more height, but depth. But, um, but yeah, I think it's good. I think the longer you uh-huh. go with this, the, the kind of more connected you get to a longer and longer future uh-huh. self, you know, it could be five, 10, 20 years from now. And uh-huh. I think it's 
you get better and better at it like a muscle. Uh-huh. Um, but in terms of like hyper practical specific, after you kind of are connected to a bigger future self, I think no more than three years on like actual specific goals. Uh-huh. Like you can accomplish a lot in three years. But in terms of connecting to a future self, it could be as far out as you want. It could be 20, 30, 40 yeah. years. And it also depends on how old you are. Yeah, 100%. The, the age. I mean, I have a, a friend, and this is kind of a funny story. He's someone I collaborate with. I write books with him. His name's Dan Sullivan. He's 80. But he believes he's going to live to 156. Like that's, oh. he genuinely believes that. He's believed that for 40 years um, because he wants to live a full century. He wants to live, you know, from, yeah. you know, the year 2000 to the year 21. But he also has a great quote that says, the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger. Uh-huh. And because he believes he's going to live longer, like he's, he's still making big investments in his future. Like if you're at the point in terms of health, you know, business opportunities, if you believe that, you don't have much future, or if you don't have hope in the future, you're not going to make investments in that future in whatever type of investment, your health, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. learning new things. But because he's, he feels young, he yeah. believes he's going to live another 70 years. Like he's still taking on huge projects. You know, he's collaborating with young people. Like he's doing a lot of things. He's investing a lot in his health because, wow. you know, that goes back to the idea, his vision of his future self is driving his actions and behaviors. And so even him in his 80s, he's got a very big connection to a future self who's living for another 70 plus years, and that's guiding the decisions uh-huh. he's making now. That so I think so you can apply it in any way. So he actually has a tool. He even has a little book, honestly. It's called My Plan to Live to 156. Yeah. And he has a tool because he, he's been coaching high-end entrepreneurs for like 50 years, but he has a tool he came up with called the Lifetime Extender. Uh-huh. And as all he does, he first off, exactly like you said, he says... Everyone usually has a number uh-huh. in their head for some reason. It could be due to family. Mm-hmm. It could be due to just averages, norms. For some reason, we have a number. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could say, I, I think I'll live this long. But what he does is he asks you, okay, so what's the number? And you don't have to say it, but like put your head in it. And then he says, put yourself exactly a year before that. So if you say, you know, I think I'll live till 87 or whatever. Uh-huh. All right, well, where do you think you'll be at age 86? Like, yeah. do you think you'll be healthy? And most people are like, yeah. It's like, and he just gets people thinking, like, do you want to have mental clarity and health and stuff? And most people are like, yeah. It's like, okay, so if all of those things are true at age 85, then do you really think you're going to die at 86? And I'm like, no. Uh-huh. So anyways, he helps people project out and choose a longer life. I think I've chosen when I did the Lifetime Extender that I thought, I think I just thought I'd probably live to my 80s, maybe 90s. But I'm like, well. I guess I'll just live to at least 110. Why not? Well, I just, you know what I, I, mean? I just, I really, I'll tell you, I just, it changes how you approach it. I just decided it. I'm going to for sure live to 100. Well, what's really oh. interesting with the future self research is basically just the idea that everything anyone is doing right now is based on the future that they most believe in, the future uh-huh. that they're most committed to. And uh-huh. so you can see when people get to a place where they're kind of throwing in the towel on their career or they think, like, you know, I don't have that much time left because that's the future that they most expect. Um, in the future that they must believe, then it kind of creates, it creates energy in their body. It create it just, it drives everything. So our future, and this is kind of one of the big ahas of all the research is just that whatever future you most believe in, whatever future you most are committed to, um, that's the thing that drives everything you're doing right here and now, oh, all I, of our actions, everything we're doing. I completely agree. I love that. I have four grandchildren, so I have to for sure live at least another 40 years <laughs> well, <laughs> because f- I want to see all of them grow up. Yeah. I mean, to Frankel's point, back to Victor Frankel, one thing that's really amazing is that, I mean, his core belief in everything, basically like the thing he taught over and over and over in that book is when the why is strong enough, you will find the how, you yeah. know? And that's basically, I mean, that's kind of the, uh, that like too. a variation of the Nietzsche quote, but, you know, he himself, because he was like a psychiatrist and things mm-hmm. like that, he had only gotten married a year before him and his wife got taken, you know, into the concentration yes. camps, yes. but he had his first book written. 
and that was called The Doctor and the Soul, and he had spent all this time writing it. And then when he got taken into the concentration camps, it was the only physical possession he brought with him, like the manuscript. And he was trying to hide it. He actually did keep it hidden for like a year, but then they took him to a different concentration camp. They found it. They tore it up, destroyed it. And so he said, and he literally writes this in Man's Search for Meaning, that my deep desire to rewrite that book and publish it is what allowed me to survive the vigors of the camp. And so, you know, his whole belief was that the moment you lose a committed goal, it's Uh not just a broad purpose, a committed goal. For him, it was get out, write that book. He Uh also wanted to hopefully be reunited with his wife. He found out later that she was already passed. But um, that's everything he helped people to do. And it hits all the the modern research on hope. Like there's a a huge field of hope. in psychology now. And it's very, it's very specific. Like hope is very powerful without hope. People don't think about just what would happen Mm -hmm. in your life if you had zero hope for your future. Mm -hmm. Um, so in psychology, they even break up people into categories, high hope and low hope people. They've studied students, they've studied, um, you know, people in business, salespeople, and, and there's like really clear distinctions. So hope in psychology is three things. Number one is you have to have a very clear and committed goal. Mm -hmm. Commitment is the basis of hope without commitment you can't really have hope. The second one is what they call pathways thinking, which is basically the idea that if you're committed, you will find the way. That's the pathways thinking. So people who are high hope, they'll try for a goal, you know, and then they'll hit some obstacle and then they'll use that as feedback to adjust the path. They're constantly adjusting the path. Whereas low hope people, because first off, they're not as committed. If they're trying some approach, you know, towards their goal and they hit an obstacle, Rather than taking that as feedback to learn and get better or find some new way, they just disengage, distract themselves, and then they ultimately go back to trying the same thing over and over and over again. It's kind of like uh-huh. the insanity. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if uh-huh. you try the same thing over and over again, you, you know, but expecting a different result. Yeah. So the third aspect is agency, just that you believe you have choice, you believe you can make a difference, you believe you can change, you believe you can find it. So yeah, that's basically just kind of the key, and I think it's, it's kind of fun just that you uh-huh. can commit to a goal, and then you will find the way if uh-huh. that's what you want to really do. Uh-huh. I, I love this. How do you stay hopeful even when everything seems to be going wrong? That's a really good question. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things you can do to to remain hopeful, especially when things are going wrong. Um, I mean, one is, and this is a, a strategy that is very useful, is actually look back and and actually see that you have made some progress. Like you have made progress, even if it's little progress. Um, if you look back and you see that I am actually a little further than I was before, mm-hmm. even if it even feels like I've gone backwards, I know more than I knew before. Um, this is kind of a concept of post-traumatic growth where you take any, any experience and you turn it into progress. And so I think one for me is, is that I'm not comparing myself to anyone else. I'm not comparing myself to you, anyone. I'm not playing anyone else's game. The only person I'm comparing myself to is who I was yesterday or three days ago, or I'm only playing my own game. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm always playing my own game, I can see that I'm further than I was before. Oh. That's one. I think uh, another one is is definitely, um, like, if, if things aren't going well, if this goes back to pathways thinking, kind of take a step back. Like, uh-huh. maybe I need to try a new strategy. So, like, as an example, like, we, you know, we adopted three kids from the foster system. We, you know, we have them now. We've had them for, like, seven years. But even us, sometimes it can feel like we're on a massive uphill battle. Uh-huh. 
Um, and so seeing progress is a big one because sometimes when you're trying to do things is all you can see is, I guess you would call it the gap. Like actually we, I've written a book called the gap and the gain. And so like, it's easy to see the gap between you and your goal. But I think if you see the gain, even me seeing the gain in my kids and saying there is progress here, but also, you know, with the pathways thinking I could probably try a new way, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. Like maybe we we need to try something new. We got to be better. You know, Mm -hmm. we got to. So I think always just being willing to try. Like I like what Brene Brown said. She said, you're either trying to get it right or you're trying to be right. And I think if you're trying to be right, you've kind of turned yourself off to learning. Uh And so if you're trying to get it right, like it's okay if it's not working, as long as you are willing to get it right, try to find a new way. That's, I think, the pathways thinking. So yeah, if you're committed, you will find the way. And I think sometimes you go through your ups and downs, but Uh um Yeah, I think, I mean, I've found I've gone through some crazy ups and downs and some obstacles, but if I'm willing to learn, if I don't think I'm right enough, I think, even if I'm trying to get it right, uh, then I will find the way. And I've, I've seen it again and again, obviously other beautiful things like prayer, journaling. Uh I mean, you can find ways to get hope, leaning Uh on people Uh who, uh, who can encourage you or give you support. I love that word willing. When you have a willing spirit, you're just willing to do what it takes. I love that. One other just thing, and it's like, like hope is the thing to boost, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you can boost your hope, all the, like a lot of, like hope is kind of the foundation. You like, for example, Angela Duckworth has all this research on grit, but like she heavily admits that without hope, you can't have grit. Like you can't be gritty, you know? Uh, And so boosting your hope is something absolutely to do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, obviously writing down your goals, but mm-hmm. also being paying attention. Like one of the re- things that the research shows is that high hope people, they'll listen to material like this, honestly, mm-hmm. that gives them new ideas, that mm-hmm. gives them skills or at least encouragement, surround themselves with people that encourage them onward. Whereas the low hope people purposefully seek out media that actually destroys their hope, mm-hmm. like gives them a justification to throw in the towel oh, yes. or even friends. It's just like, just let that go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think being around people that, you know, and I have friends where sometimes I'm having a bad day and then I talk to them, I'm like, okay, I can keep going. I got this. Yes. Yes. I love to journal. Me too. And so I like to go back and read what I've journaled. And uh, sometimes if I can tell that, oh, I must have been having a bad day because I didn't write anything real positive. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to rewrite those feelings or rewrite that message to myself. That's cool. Yeah. Like go back to an old journal and rewrite Uh the old days journal entry kind of. Uh I do. I think that's amazing. What's really interesting from like a psychology standpoint is like time as we know it is not what they would call sequential. Like we think of time as sequential where it's Mm -hmm. like the past was five days ago or five, you know, we got past, present and future. But from a psychology standpoint, psychologists would say time is holistic where Mm -hmm. it's like the past, present and future are happening right now. So my view of my future is driving my actions, but also my belief in my past is also. And, um, what they talk about in terms of memory is, is that memory is always reconstructed in the present. So like right now, my present self can think about, for example, my parents getting divorced at age 11 and I'm looking at it from the view or I'm reconstructing it from my current self. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a different reconstruction than mm-hmm. even five years ago. I've got new context, new situation. And so there's a great quote from one of my favorite psychologists. He says that it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the oh, present. I so why I like your strategy is, is that you can definitely go back and change the past. You can mm-hmm. change the meaning of the experiences. You can change your relationship to it. And so mm-hmm. 
I'm gonna try that because I've never heard of that. I've never, I've never heard of that, but I love it. I think that's. I mean, I've written obviously letters from my future self Mm -hmm. all the time, and I've thought about past experiences and reframed them, but I've never actually just like reread it or rewrote it. Uh (laughs) I think that Uh that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I'll take myself to that day, and I'll remember why I felt that way and what I was writing about and all of that. But I truly change my opinion and my outlook and my feelings about that day or event or whatever so that it's not still with me. I am going to do that tonight on my flight. Oh, I'm, good. I, I'm in love with that idea. Oh, I good. think that's really cool. Oh, good. I love hearing that because I think you're I've brilliant. never heard that before. I've never <gasps> heard really? of, of, any, of anyone who's ever done that. It's a very positive feeling. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. So I think right now we'll do what I have done in every podcast. I do two things. When I started the podcast, I said, okay, we're going to do two things with every podcast. And one of them is drink of the day. And so we create our drinks of the day. And this drink is called Happy Future Self. Today's drink of the day is a hydrating electrolyte-filled tonic that will help your future self feel fresh and rejuvenated. It has two cups of unsweetened coconut water, one-third cup of fresh lime juice, two-thirds cup of filtered water, and one and a half teaspoon of raw honey, two strawberries, one-eighth teaspoon of Himalayan pink salt. You muddle the strawberries in a tall glass, combine all of the other ingredients, and stir until the salt is fully dissolved. This drink will help with water absorption, brain and heart function, and flushing out waste. How's that sound? I want one. (laughs) I do too, and it's coming right now. Oh, that's sweet. That's a good title. Happy future self (laughs) to you. Cheers. Yes, cheers. Doesn't it look beautiful? And so Secret Squad out there, you know you can go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com and you can see how beautiful <laughs> this drink is and you can get the recipe. The happy future self. That's a the beautiful, I love it. Self. <laughs> okay, so what sort of things start to happen when we disconnect from future versions of ourselves? I'll go at a few angles. You know, from Viktor Frankl's standpoint, what happens when you lose that connection to your future self 
the present loses all meaning. You start to go retrospective in your thoughts and think about the past and you just disengage. So that was exactly what happened to those people was they lost the connection to their future self. They lost a sense of belief or a hope that there was anything there worth fighting for or even to believe in. And so then the present became kind of a prison to escape. That's obviously an extreme situation. There's a a great TED talk called the battle between your present and your future self. And, and basically this is a lot of the research that shows that when you're not connected to a bigger picture future self, then is all you're going to end up doing is seeking short term dopamine rewards in the present. You know, you'll just try to, you know, whether it's scrolling on social media, whether it's eating junk food, you're not, you're not connecting your actions and behaviors to a bigger future. And so in that sense, the future self is losing the battle with the present self because the present self is doing a lot of things that are ultimately detrimental to the future self. Um, so that's, that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. There's a funny joke that um, Jerry Seinfeld used to, you know, make oh, on yeah. Letterman. And he would talk about, in a small sense, he'd talk about night guy and morning guy. Yeah. And he talks about how night guy always screws morning guy. You know, like <laughs> night guy, he's like, my, I'm, I'm night guy. I want to party. I want to stay up, you know. And then morning guy's upset because, you know, he's got to get up for work. But night guy went to bed at three in the morning, you yeah. know. And yeah. so it's like night guy always, you know, he says night guy always mess you know messes up morning guys so i just think you're you're just kind of setting yourself up for for disaster um when you're not connected to a bigger picture future self Mm -hmm. um aristotle basically just believed that intentionality is what makes humans intelligent like the more intentional we get about what we're doing about what we want to about what we most believe in he called it final cause like what is the thing that you ultimately believe in and want to like live for if you don't have you know that's what he believed made humans so intelligent is that we could be intentional. Mm-hmm. So without that, we we kind of just become reactive to our environment. Mm. That's great. What are two types of ways we're motivated to achieve goals? Two types of ways. Um, I think that psychologists have a lot of different frameworks for goals. Um, I think one would be what psychologists would call approach uh-huh. and the other one would be avoid. Oh. And so... You know, one way is, is that your goals could be things you you genuinely want, that Mm -hmm. you're trying to approach, that you actually, and that's actually a lot harder for people. It's a lot easier to think about things that they want to avoid, you know, and and avoidance goals are goals too. Like if I want to avoid, you know, being around that person Uh (laughs) or I want Mm -hmm. to avoid being in debt. So would fear also be something that would keep you from going for your goals? Yeah. So you can know that it's probably an approach goal or a freedom to if you feel a lot of fear because mm-hmm. fear and excitement actually are kind of companions. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just trying to avoid things you don't want, there's not going to be a lot of, there may be some fear, but there's not going to be any excitement in that. Yeah. Whereas if you're thinking about what do I really, really want? It could be, you know, go for that dream or it could be to have that conversation or to talk to that person. There's going to be a lot of fear there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a huge amount of excitement if you went for it. So yeah, Every time you go on the freedom to side where you're actually choosing what you want, you'll have to go through fear. Like that's kind of, but that's what, that's when you actually commit to it. That's actually when you become alive. That's where the excitement comes. That's where you start learning. You know, once you go through that and commit to it, then all of a sudden you feel different. You, Mm -hmm. you've actually now become a different person. And now because you're at a higher level of commitment, that's actually when you start being your future self, actually to the idea of be your future self now, like that's when you start, that's now when you are being who you want to be. And there's that whole idea of be, then do, then have, you're now being and doing what your future self would do. So that's, 
that's pretty much the key right there. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Is it simple for everyone to figure out what they're motivated by? I think it is simpler than we make it. Yeah. I think that we we come up with all sorts of rationalizations about why we should want what we want. Mm -hmm. But it, I love the quote, and this is kind of an Alcoholics Anonymous quote, but it's all progress starts by telling the truth. Yeah. So this could go to journaling. First, obviously, you want to tell yourself the truth about what you want. Um, back to my friend Dan Sullivan, he has a great concept called wanting what you want. So like he actually back in 1978 got divorced and went bankrupt the same day, <gasps> literally. Oh. But he realized, and it, it smacked him in the face. One thing, it was kind of interesting because he was like, I think he went out and went to eat and he realized no one knew that he was having such a horrible day. And he just realized the world's going to go on. Uh -huh. And so he, one thing he realized was just that I haven't taken full responsibility for what I want in my life. And so he literally spent 25 years just writing down every day, just what he wants. And what he learned first off by getting what he wanted is that when you think you need something, you justify it to other people. Or even if you tell someone what you want, it could be anything. I want, I want a jet. It uh -huh. could be whatever. Or I want to go. Some people will say, well, do you really need that? Uh -huh. And wanting has nothing to do with needing. That goes actually back to, you know, needing to, you know, free yourself from something. Uh -huh. And so he's, he says, want what you want and you don't justify what you want. Uh -huh. The problem that we all have is, is that we have a hard time being honest, first off with ourselves, of what we just actually want. And so it, I think it's a skill of just first, and you could do it to yourself in the journal. Uh -huh. What do you actually want? Like if you were to uh -huh. peel the layers away without needing to explain it to anyone, without needing to rationalize it to anyone, if someone asked you, why do you want that? Because I want it. Uh -huh. It's just inside. It's in, I it's have in, that right. I just want, I yeah, want it. Yeah. And, uh, mm. and that's, I think, uh, that's the healthiest place to be is just connecting to yourself about what you want. This is really what freedom is, is freedom is based on want, not need. Um, and so if you just say, this is what I want and I want it because I want it. Um, then you can actually start living courageously without needing to try to cater to all yes. the things and situations and people around you. Just, this is what I want. Yes. Uh, and that's when you can start really being bold and even increasingly more honest with yourself, but also more honest with other people. Oh, I love that. It does empower you, doesn't it? it it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, it's amazing <laughs> what it can do with your life because then you stop, you know, if a situation just doesn't provide what you want. You can, you can just say, it's okay. I can walk away. Yes. Like it's okay. We that. don't need to try to force this. Uh -huh. um, and uh, then you can just move forward and yes. you can act. So all progress starts by telling the truth. Oh, I love that. Do you think it's healthy to have a little bit of fear? I think it's healthy. I think it's very healthy. I um, think so too. Good. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not moving with fear, then what, then you're probably not being honest with yourself. Yeah. Like it's always going to take commitment and courage to move in a, in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And so there's always going to be fear if there you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it, it, it's actually electricity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very good for you. And, uh, I find that the days where I've faced fear and pursued what I wanted, even if I'm learning that, you know, back to that whole pathways thinking you're going to fumble and bumble along the way, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. But the days where I actually went at my fear and went, went, went through it. Mm -hmm. Those are the days where I make the biggest progress as a person. Those are also the days when the world starts kind of changing around me in, in terms of my own environment and situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're not facing fear on a regular basis, you're probably more on that autopilot. Uh -huh. Um, there's a great quote actually, and this fits with future self perfectly, but um, this is a quote from Robert Greene. Have you ever heard of Robert Greene? Yes, yes. He's an interesting he was, character. He was on my podcast. Really? He's amazing. He is. He's genius. He is a genius. So he wrote a book 
with 50 Cent called The 50th Law. And in that book, they say, by our nature as rational, conscious creatures, we cannot help but think of the future. But most people out of fear limit their views of the future to a narrow range. Thoughts of tomorrow, a few weeks ahead, perhaps a vague plan for the months to come. We're generally dealing with so many immediate battles that it is hard for us to lift our gaze above the moment. It is a law of power, however, that the further and deeper we contemplate the future, the greater our capacity to shape it to our desires. So the reason I bring that up is because, number one, if you, if you, if you have a lot of fear, then you're probably living day to day. You're on autopilot. Whereas if you start visualizing a bigger future self and going for it, you're going to have to go through a lot of fear. Um, but that's the stuff that it makes it, 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 it's, it's basically electricity. I mean, it's energy, it's excitement. Um, it's also where you're going to learn the mm-hmm. hardest, fastest lessons because yes. you're going to, because you'll make mistakes, Yes. but it's, you're, you're actually moving forward and you have, I mean, just speaking from, from personal experience, September, you know, and we're filming this in early October, September was the month of me facing a lot of the fears I'd been avoiding. <gasps> Seriously. Oh. Um, there's a great quote that basically says how you do anything is how you're doing everything. Yes. Yes. And so well, I like that one too. when I started to face my fears, some of the fears I'd been procrastinating, like for example, a conversation that really needed to happen, that's going to be either really big for my future self, or it's going to take my future self a different direction. Once I actually went and had that conversation, which I had honestly procrastinated for a year, all of a sudden I had like everything else in my life started changing because now I was actually facing my fear. I was doing what I wanted. And so because I was doing that, again, how you do anything is how you're doing everything. I started to see all the other areas of my life that were a little out of order, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's like my health or some habits. And like because now I'm living powerfully with intention, I'm doing what I want and I'm willing to face the repercussions and figure it out. Like I then you start to become aware of all the things in your life that are a little out of alignment. Oh, that is so interesting and so true. I love that. You talk about a whole list of super helpful steps to be your future self. Could you give us a few? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say step one would be clarify, clarify your contextual purpose. I say contextual because right now we're in a, I'm in a context. You're in a context, right? My context is I've got six kids. Um, some of them are teenagers. Some of them are small. So like my context right now is different than it was five years ago when I was a grad student and we had a few foster kids and I was trying to become a professional writer, right? So me in that old context, my future self, I guess you could say, was trying to become a professional writer, right? But that's not really relevant to current me. So contextual purpose is just based on your context now and the context you want in the future, what is that purpose? You know, with Frankel, what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the quote from... Um, Jim Collins, he wrote the book, Good to Great, right? And he says, if you have more than three priorities, you have none. And so for me, I think about my contextual purpose as three priorities. What are my core three priorities right now, which I also believe are the most important for my future self, call it in three to five years. And then I think about my future self in those three priorities. So like right now, absolutely number one priority is like my, my family, but also hyper-focus on my th- three older kids that we adopted who are now like basically teenagers. Mm. So big aspect of my purpose or my future self kind of step one is defining what is my purpose for these next few years and what are my top three priorities? Cause that's what I'm going to focus on. Number one being my kids and then thinking like, where do I want, what do I want that to look like in three mm. to five years? Um, and I wouldn't have that purpose or that, you know, that kind of contextual purpose be more than five years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So three priorities, and then to find out where do you want your future self in those three priorities. And then that takes you to step two, which is uh, eliminate lesser goals. So this is actually my all-time favorite quote. I, mean, I have a huge, like, huge writing on my wall of mm -hmm. this quote. But the quote is, we are kept from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to some lesser goal. Oh. So we're kept from our goals, not by the obstacles in between us, right? If we're committed, we'll go through those obstacles or we'll find a way around them. We're kept from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. <gasps> and so it becomes really powerful once you've clarified your purpose and your three priorities and gotten committed to that to start saying no to those lesser goals, those things that are, you know, they don't, they conflict or they're just, they may be, it could be old habits. It could be friends. It could be a job. It could be an opportunity, but it's, it's now a lesser goal. It's actually taking you away from where you want to go. So start saying no to more and more of those lesser goals. And, and you can know if it's a lesser goal, if it's taking you away from where you want to go, or if it's outside your three priorities, right? If this uh -huh. is, so it, that really helps. I love that. Um, Here's, here's, an, here's one more. I'll give you one more that's kind of okay. more of a super practical one, which is just schedule your future self, literally. So like for a long time, I didn't honestly have writing in my schedule. <laughs> like yeah. I would go to school, even when I had become a professional writer, like it was still something I was just like squeezing in the day, right? Yeah. And so I think you the sooner you start scheduling your future self, it's like if you want to do X, you know, like, put that into your schedule uh -huh. and like make it your time. Cause now when you're doing that, you're now being your future self. And so changing your schedule so that you're prioritizing what I would call the important over the urgent, uh -huh. which is you're, you're actually blocking out your future self first. And when, when that time block comes, do what you want to do, whether it's for me, work on that book or go take my daughter on the daddy daughter date, like start making your schedule look the way you want it to. So I think yes. that, that's just the key on a weekly basis. Put the important before the urgent. And as you start doing that, your life will start looking like your future self. Oh, I love that. Because so many of us do say, oh, I really need to start doing this, or Schedule. I really need to start doing that. And, and it is always something that is important. And it is something you really want to do. But it seems like if you're saying that, then you, you're not doing it and you have no plans to do it. You have to stop right then and put it in your schedule. Yeah. And I think if you put those in your schedule first, then you're putting your future self first, which okay. is honestly you living powerfully and living intentionally and you're living the life you want and you're being your future self, which one of my favorite, uh, have you ever read the book as a man thinketh? It's kind no. of the old, it's an old classic, no. but he says that we do not attract what we want. We attract who we are. Right. And so I just think when you start being your future self, you start, you know, bringing in, you, you start doing what your future self would do. You start having what your future self would have. And so if you actually put it in your schedule first and you start saying no to those lesser goals, mm -hmm. whatever they may be, um, then as you're doing more and more of that, that's actually basically you adopting the identity of your uh -huh. future self because identity mm -hmm. as a concept is what you're most committed to. That's mm -hmm. what identity is. That's the definition of identity. It's that which you're most committed to. And so once you start putting it in your schedule or, you know, being public about it and actually start doing it, you're demonstrating your commitment. You're also uncommitting to the lesser goals, which may be relevant to your past or your current self, but they're a distraction to the desired future self you have. Oh. So once you commit, then you'll start identifying as your future self and you'll start being that and then you'll start getting what your future self wants. Oh, I love that. When you look ahead to your future self, what are some adjectives that you label yourself as? 
um, I see myself being very like compassionate, connected with my, with my kids, especially like very, um, just very connected with them, have an amazing relationship with them. Uh, I see my future self being very just clear, humble, uh, you know, like very present, um, you know, having good moments with people. I love that. I love that. Please tell everyone where to get Be Your Future Self Now and when your new book is hitting the shelves. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. <laughs> um, so Be Your Future Self Now, you can get it anywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, Audible, you know, if you yeah. like audiobooks. So you can get Be Your Future Self Now anywhere. Um, the book that's coming out next May is called 10X is Easier Than 2X. So that's my third book mm. with Dan Sullivan. It's a very... I'm literally, as we're talking, I'm like one week from being done with it. And so that book has warped my brains in a good way. It's literally changed my life um, to write that book. But um, that book comes out next May. Oh, that I book's called that. 10X is Easier Than 2X. Oh, I love that title. Yeah, it's fun. It's true. It's true. Bigger goals kind of back to my son, Caleb. You know, it would actually be easier for him to go for pro than uh -huh. to go for college. It would be enormously easier. It's I just understand. way less complex. It's way, way more yeah. straightforward. Uh, and there's a lot of other reasons, especially for entrepreneurs, why 10X is easier. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm so excited. So we've come to the place in the podcast that is our second thing we do with every podcast, and that's play a game. Do you like to play games? Yeah, definitely. I, too. I love having fun. I love playing games. And so we created this game in honor of you and your brilliant self. It's called In the Future. So this game <laughs> is all about the future. I'm going to read off a prompt, and we have to say if we agree or disagree that this will be true in the future. <laughs> oh, goodness, this is great. Okay, so the first one, In the Future movie theaters will no longer exist. Do you agree or disagree? I'm going to say yes. I am actually going to say yes as well. You think so? I recently read an article and it was a kind of a both sides about movie theaters and they had done this poll. A large percentage of people polled said they did not think that they would exist. Like it was like 80-20 but the entire time I was reading it, I couldn't grasp it. I said, no, I, I really do believe that they'll always exist. <laughs> okay, second. We will all drive self-driving cars. Maybe. I'll, I'll say, um, I guess if you went far enough into the future. Oh. That's tough. That's tough. <laughs> and uh, Self-driving cars. You get in and you, I guess you punch in your destination and just sit back. No. You don't think so? I don't think so. That scares me. One thing that's interesting about just this in general is, is that um, certain events lead to changes that become, you know, basically normalized. And so it'd be interesting to see like what event would, you know, have to lead to that. But yeah. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with no as well, although, you know, who knows? Maybe in 100 years they just require that. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. Mullet haircuts will come back in style. I think so. I, I think so, too. I, I'm, I'm already seeing some mullets floating around. Seriously. I was just And they say actually the look good. I was Seriously, say the like, same thing, yes. Like, maybe 10 years ago, if you saw a mullet, it was like, no, no, no. But, like, now I've seen some good-looking mullets. Me you too. know what I mean? I'm like, 
I want to be that guy. <laughs> I, I, I actually just saw one recently on someone, and I can't remember where I saw it, but they were commenting on it. Maybe he had made it, was making an appearance on a show or something, and they commented on it, and it looked really good. I've seen it. I've seen some really good-looking mullets, and I'm like, I don't know if I could do that, but <laughs> you have to give the person credit for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, the next one. We will figure out how to reverse aging. Oh, I see that happening. Yep, I agree. And I'll be the first one. That- I, mean, I think that they've already started the reversal. I think it, I think they're already starting pretty big on that process. There's already lots of huge science breakthroughs on that for I agree. sure. I agree. Okay, the next one. We will live in space. I don't think so. Some people probably will. But I don't, I don't know about, I don't think everyone, certainly. Well, I guess you're right. It doesn't say everyone, like, we're all moving to space. But I think you're right. We, there will be space stations. Interesting, like 50 or 100 years from now, if, you know, Elon Musk gets his way, there might be some colonies on Mars, but I, I don't think everyone will. I agree. I agree. And we will discover a new planet. Ooh, do you think we will? Definitely. Oh, I was just going to have to say, I don't know. I think I, they're I discovering new planets it. regularly. Like I think that they they even found a planet recently, and now I'm going to sound really ignorant if it's not true. But I think I saw you know on on the University of YouTube. I I'm just kidding, but I saw like I think we've discovered a planet that's bigger than certain stars. Really? You know, like yeah, huge planets. And so like I I think we're finding new stuff all the time. Okay, well I guess that is very possible. Well, sadly that brings us to the end of this episode, and I'm sad. This has been unbelievable. But before we wrap up, I need to ask you one final question. This podcast is all about sharing life-changing secrets that maybe you've learned from a friend or from a family member throughout your life, just a secret that you loved hearing and you think might change someone else's life. Can you give us one? I think that the thing that's changed my life a lot is... um, really simple. It's two things. I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that have changed my life, but in terms of like where I can actually see that what I was doing made a total difference. Um, even when I was like serving a church mission, right? Like we all believed in God and stuff like that. And we were all, you know, but what I think I saw that was different was, um, I was reading lots of books on purpose always, I mean, even I was recently talking to my daughter about this. I went and took my daughter and her friend to go get frozen yogurt and they were talking, her friend was saying how she hates reading, you know? And I was just like, I'm okay with that. But people who read do really interesting things in this world. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I think reading and like learning, um, making, you know, because we're always in a world of consuming content now, but most of that I think for most people, it's not contributing to their future self, right? It's more like just pure entertainment and I'm all for being entertained, but it's not, it's not changing your brain. It's not Mm -hmm. changing your worldview. So for me, I'm always, I think if I'm constantly or regularly studying, reading new things and actually learning first off, my brain is healthy, but so that's number one. And then the second one would be journaling, you know, we've already talked about this, but you know, even your little example Mm of reframing a past day, like Mm -hmm. it's amazing I'm a huge believer that journaling is probably the best way to heal your past, Mm -hmm. to get centered in the present, and also to really clarify and commit to the future you want. And even just honestly, honestly, when I was on the plane today, I think if you give yourself space to journal, Mm -hmm. 
you get you get inspiration. Mm-hmm. Like when I was on the plane today, it was really funny. And I honestly, I was not planning on giving you that book when I was driving. Oh. Seriously, seriously. Oh. When I was on the plane, I was journaling. And I was just journaling. And I literally got the thought, bring her flowers and give her the book. <gasps> seriously. The reason I brought that is because that's, I'm, I'm, that's going to be my next solo book. Is <gasps> I'm, I'm like, I'm going to adapt that. And so I was going to read it. And I just got the thought, which was, Get her flowers, bring her the book. Oh, wow. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think if you give yourself the space without the distractions, the pings and the dings, it's very easy on a plane, but, you know, early in the morning, late at night, like, or just during the day, if you just sit and write in the journal and yes. you can do a little meditation before if you want, you can even pray before if you want. But if you're just sitting there with your thoughts and if you're just writing about things that matter to you, and I've, I have this happen all the time. You get an idea uh-huh. and then you just follow that idea forward and then all of a sudden, and then you can feel it emotionally. Yes. It's just like, this is the right thing. Boom. Like I'm doing it committed. And uh-huh. so if you don't give yourself that space, then you miss that inspiration. And yes. so, um, yeah, I think journaling uh-huh. and, and, and just constantly learning are the two uh-huh. things that are just, I think you got to do them. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And before we finish, I want to tell the secret squad out there that's listening Benjamin was talking about this book that I'm holding in my hand. It's called Slipstream Time Hacking, How to Cheat Time, Live More, and Enhance Happiness. You've enhanced my happiness today. You are such a beautiful spirit. Thank you. Thank you. So this has really, truly been a wonderful time. But can you please also tell the listeners where to find you and your books online? Sure. Yeah, you can just go to BenjaminHardy.com. All the books are on Amazon, which is basically the easiest way to buy a book or an audio book. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And it's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful. So Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.